0: That was quite a historic event, wasn't it? Christmas, 1914. uh, The great Christmas truce that took place on the battlefield of Europe in World War I. Uh, It's just one of several events that we've been looking at in our series called um, Christmas in Time. And if you've been here these last several weeks, uh, we've taken a look at historic events Uh, that happened on or about Christmas. And what we've pointed out, that in each of these events, we get a sense of a deep longing that resides in every human heart. But ultimately, in those events, as we explore those longings, we conclude that in the end, only Christ can meet those deepest longings in our heart. Uh, we started out with Pastor Tyler and the theme was Revelation. And we learned that on Christmas Day um, the World Wide Web was launched. And of course the longing there is uh, communication, revelation to, to know others and to be known. And, and of course the World Wide Web for better or for worse uh, has allowed us to do that. Uh, but in that, There's that deep, deep longing. And as we think of knowing others and being known, I I think the most important revelation that we can have is the revelation of of God himself. As God reveals himself to us in his word, as he reveals himself in flesh, in incarnate deity, in the birth of, of, of Jesus, uh, we, we see uh, God meeting us and reaching out to us and, and revealing himself both in his word, but also in the word made flesh, the word that came and, and dwelt among us. And then the second week, we looked at Washington's crossing of the Delaware. Do you remember that? on Christmas, 1776, and how the colonists longed to be free from the tyranny uh, of Great Britain, uh, King George. And and they wanted to be free, they wanted liberty, Uh, they sought release from from bondage, oppression of the British rule, the British Empire, and on that uh, Christmas Day, Washington, against all odds, crossed that void, the Delaware River, uh, between Pennsylvania and Trenton, New Jersey. And on the morning of the 26th, when they finally arrived and mustered uh, their soldiers together, they attacked Trenton in what was uh, really the first resounding victory of the war. And it was a victory that that gave the colonists hope that, that they could win their independence, that they could be free that they did have a chance. And, and in there we see that longing for freedom, that longing for, for independence uh, that was resident in the hearts of the colonists and of, out of Washington and his soldiers uh, on that Christmas day. And yet it reminds us that we are never really truly free until we're set free from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of death, and how Christ crossed that that great void from heaven to earth. And he came in the greatest invasion that mankind has ever known. The invasion in which Jesus comes to set us free from the forces of the devil, from sin and from its penalty death, and, and really only in Christ and in the freedom that that Christ has won for us on the cross, can we be truly free? Can we be truly free? And and that longing for that freedom that resides deep in our hearts can be found only in Christ. And so that was what we looked at in the the second week. And of course, uh, last week we talked about um, forgiveness and the controversial, very controversial pardoning of. Uh, Confederate soldiers, leaders uh, in President Andrew Johnson's final presidential proclamation on Christmas Day, uh, 1868, in which he issues an unconditional pardon to the South and to all who had been involved in the Confederacy. Uh, It was met uh, with mixed feelings. And people were attributing mixed uh, motives to why he was doing that. And yet, there was this deep longing, as Johnson said at that time, to bring the nation together, to end hostility, to once and for all try to heal the wounds uh, of the war between the North and the South. And regardless of his motives... There was an attempt to issue this pardon and, and this desire to forgive and to be forgiven. And yet we recognize that in our desire for forgiveness, to be in right relationship with one another, that, that it is a forgiveness that ultimately can only be won through the reconciliation of God. As he reconciles man to himself through Jesus Christ. That is where true forgiveness is found. And and the forgiveness that we receive from him is the basis of the forgiveness that we can share and give to one another. Um, To those who are truly forgiven. To those who understand the weight and the cost of forgiveness, the, the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, the Savior who was born, if you will, in a wooden manger who would grow to adulthood and die on a wooden cross to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin so that we could be forgiven, that so we could be reconciled to God and in right relationship with God, that we could be given new life, an everlasting life. And that we could walk with Jesus not only now but forever and worship Him as our Savior and as our King. Wow! The weight of that forgiveness. The glory of God as He reconciles us to Himself through Christ. And in that, we are then able to extend to one another the the grace that God gives to us in forgiving one another, even as we, too, have been forgiven. And so in forgiveness itself, in our desire to be forgiven, we encounter that in the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. And so whether it's revelation, whether it is Um, the desire for freedom, to be set free from bondage, forgiveness, or even as we saw this morning in the video clip, that deep longing for peace. Ultimately, those longings are only met in the person and the work of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and that's why we're looking at history and time. And, and the beautiful part of that is that, that Christmas in time, if you will, continues today. That you and I have a date with history. Who are we going to be? How will our lives make a difference? How will you and I in our relationship with one another and our relationship with those around us in the world in which we live, in the places where God has providentially placed us. How will we make history? How will we be a part of God's plan of redemption? The bringing of the good news. That we are witnesses to the reality of God's revelation of himself, of his offer of forgiveness, of freedom to be set free from the bondage of sin and its penalty death and and ultimately to direct people to the true and only source of peace. That's the Prince of Peace. Now it's amazing in the truce of Christmas 1914 how the war barely a year old at that time. The United States had not yet entered the combatants there that we looked at, German soldiers and British soldiers, although as the story goes, there were some French soldiers as well. And all across the front, on that Christmas Eve and and Christmas Day, soldiers longing for a cessation of hostility, longing for once and for all to put an end to the depravity, and to the deprivation, and to the brutality that they were experiencing in war. They began to look into the sky at night and suddenly overcome with the reality that there was a source of peace, that there was one who could deliver peace even in the midst of war. And and they began to sing in their own language Christmas carols. And of course, what we heard in the In the video, with Silent Night and there were reports all across the front of soldiers singing Silent Night back and forth. And then a few fearful, timid, yet courageous souls poking their heads over the trench and looking across the expanse of no man's land. And much to the dismay of commanding officers back behind the front, who were discouraging this, soldiers and their officers in the trenches, seeking peace, came out of those trenches and walked into no man's land, shook hands, exchanged gifts, celebrated Christmas singing carols together and even engaging in soccer games. It's an amazing event that happened. Well, it lasted just but for a moment for a better part of the day. And then they shook hands, they returned to their trenches, and the war began in earnest again. And so we see in the hearts of those soldiers on both sides of the front a longing and a desire for peace. this particular peace is a a cessation from hostility, a a peace which is an absence of war. And yet, the one who they look to offers a a peace that's much greater than that. And we we read about him and we, we hear about him in the scripture. This morning we heard a passage read from Isaiah 9. It's what's known as a, a royal psalm. For in it, we hear uh, a description of the one who is the Messiah. The one who is to bring God's rule and reign on earth. The one whose kingdom will never end. Who will sit in the throne of David. And whose rule will be forever and ever and ever. And of course it's a vision of hope for us and for the world. But as this as Isaiah describes this king, he says these words about him. He says, of the increase of government, verse seven uh, verse seven of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That he, the Prince of Peace, will establish a peace And it will be the zeal of the Lord who will accomplish this. Once again, what is in the longing of the human heart will ultimately be accomplished by God himself. And through the one who we worship, the one that the prophet Isaiah writes about, the one who will establish that everlasting kingdom, the kingdom that will have no end. But he will be the Prince of Peace. And, of course, in our Luke narrative that we heard as well today, we hear about a, a peace that's, that's good news for those of whom on God's favor rests. And so when we think of that peace, if we think of the, the, the prince of peace, uh, in the Hebrew there was a concept that was called shalom. Are you familiar with that? It's a greeting. You often hear it. Jewish people say shalom, Okay as they greet each other or as they, they leave one another. They'll say shalom. And shalom is a word that, that means peace, but it means something much more than a cessation of hostility. In other words, an absence of war. Uh, shalom means completeness, wholeness, harmony, prosperity, in which is encompassed hope, healing, wholeness. It's it's existing in this perfect state in which we reside with God and God with us as he originally intended us to be. That's shalom. That's shalom. And as we think of that, and we think of the words of Jesus Himself in John fourteen twenty seven words that he was giving comfort to his disciples before uh, going to the cross to die for us, he said these words. He said to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Now, it's interesting. He's saying this to them at a time of great tumult, at a time in which he knows what awaits him, in a time in which he knows what's going to happen to his disciples. And yet, he says, in the midst of all of this, I am going to leave you a peace that's transcendent. A peace that's greater than your circumstances. A a peace that will anchor you, that will settle you, that will give you hope. In it will reside the promises of God for your life as you relate to Him, as you understand and relate to yourself and to one another. It's an unshakable peace. It's It's a peace that is greater than the wind and the storms that are about to to swirl about you. It's the kind of peace that Jesus demonstrates in the Sea of Galilee in the midst of the storm when his disciples come in the boat and say, don't you care what's happening to us? Don't you know? And these experienced seasoned fishermen in a storm so great that it brought fear even to their hearts. And yet, Jesus, of course, resting looks at them and says, hey, where's your faith? And then he speaks to the wind and the wave and he says, peace, peace, peace. Be still. Peace, be still. And Jesus demonstrates as the Prince of Peace his authority even over the wind in the waves, the forces of nature, that there could be calm in the midst of the storm. And that's the, the calm that he wants to impart to his disciples before he goes off to, to die for them and for us on the cross. And it's a kind of peace that transcends our external human experience. It's a peace that can reign and rule in our heart and our lives as the Prince of Peace sits in the throne of our life. You see that? And so in the New Testament, there's a word uh, for peace. It's irene. Uh, It's different than the one word, shalom, in the Hebrew, but it's an attempt to kind of encapsulate that, but it can refer to several aspects of peace. And typically, as we encounter that word in the New Testament, uh, it refers to, to peace in, in one of three terms. One is, is peace with God. Peace with God. Uh, the second uh, is the, the peace of God, or uh, a peace within ourselves that comes from being at peace with God. And the third aspect of it, and how we see it expressed, is a peace with one another. Since we have peace with God, and we have peace of God, and peace of God within ourselves, then we can be at peace with one another. And and in those three expressions of peace, or experiences of peace, we get a taste, if you will, of the shalom of the wholeness, of the completeness, of the ultimate peace that awaits us at the consummation of God's kingdom when Christ returns and He establishes and reigns on that throne forever. So we get a taste of it. So I want to look at each of those here briefly. Let's talk about peace with God. Colossians 1 Verses 21 through 23 says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You and I were enemies with God. Hostility existed between us and God because of our sin because of our evil behavior. But now, Paul writes, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your face established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And so we get this picture of enmity of hostility that existed between us and God, between God and humanity. And Christ doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. It's by what? Grace, we're saved through faith. That Christ died on the cross. That his death satisfied our sin debt. And because of that, His blood washes us clean of our sin. That He is indeed our Savior. That's why we celebrate His birth. There was a reason that God became incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us. That He came into the world to die for you and for me and for our sin. Okay? And because of that, the peace that we have with God is a reconciled, Peace, God at work in Christ, reconciling us to Himself. I love Romans five one through two. There's legal language used here. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that word "justified" is a legal word, as if you were in a court of law and someone said, "You are not guilty, not guilty." As we stand before God. He declares us not guilty. Why? We've been justified through faith. Faith in the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith. Into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God the glory of God that is present and the glory of God that is our future hope. That we one day will, will, will experience the fullness of all that God intends in His kingdom that will have no end. And that we will have full participation and that God will fulfill all the promises of Scripture in our lives. And so, we have peace with God. The Prince of Peace gives us peace with God. That's good news, isn't it? You're not worthy of celebration at Christmas. The Prince of Peace fulfills their longing to be in right relationship with God. But then we have the peace of God. Peace with ourselves. Now, when we think of the peace of God, we think of that, that, that peace that, that Jesus says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives, do not let your heart be troubled. There, there is a peace of God that resides in the hearts and lives of those who by faith know Christ as their Savior. And that peace is the peace that is present even amidst the, the tumult and the storms of life when there is war and enmity between people, when there is strife, when when the world is is struggling to make itself right, but it seems like it's spinning out of control, there is a peace that's available to you and to me. And that's a peace that begins with having peace with God and being in right relationship with God and being confident of that. And and it's a peace then that that just invades and permeates our being. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what? Peace. It's something we can't manufacture on our own. It's something that is a result of God who dwells and lives in us. God the Holy Spirit. And that peace is there and that peace is available. And I know there are times in our lives when we, we struggle to, to grab a hold of that. There, we, we, we struggle to, 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 to live in the fullness of that. And yet it's there. As we grow and as our faith and our walk in Christ deepens. And yet I think sometimes we, we struggle to grab a hold of that, we, we struggle to have that, because the first issue, peace with God, really isn't settled. And so because that really isn't settled and we have doubts in the back of our minds, we struggle with the peace of God or having peace with ourselves. And, and one of the ways we do that, I want to talk just specifically to this this morning is we do that because we have lingering doubts. Do I really have peace with God? Am I, am I really forgiven of my sins? Has God really claimed me as His own? And, and does, does He really live in me? Is the fruit of the Spirit, are the promises of God available to me in this life? Does He really love me? Has He really forgiven me? And, and oftentimes... We, we hear the words that, that we've been reconciled. That it's by grace we're saved through faith. And yet we live as if we're still under the penalty of our sin. And we, we live in fear. And we live in doubt. And there are things in our life that we've done. Things that. Or ashamed of or things that we wouldn't want anybody else to know that we've done or things that we think or we do or that we know God sees and somehow we just have a hard time believing that God could forgive that. We have a hard time believing that God could love us or that God could love me with all my frailty, with all my faults, with all my flaws, with all my brokenness. And the lack of peace I have with myself comes from a lack of belief that God really has forgiven me and that He has made all things new. That that He sees me washed through the blood of His Son, Jesus, clean. Though my sins were as scarlet, He's washed me white as snow. To grab a hold of that truth and to walk in that truth and to have confidence in that, Changes everything inside. That enables us to to look back at at our worst moments and say, My sins are forgiven. What I've done, who I've hurt, what I failed to be, all those things, the ways I've fallen short of, of, of God's desire for me. It's all forgiven. Let's go over a few scriptures with you this morning and and just talk about this. Because I think that that to have peace with ourselves, we have to be settled in this. We have to know this. We have to walk and live in it. I love Romans 8.1. So my favorite verses in all of scripture. Uh, When the accuser of the brethren, Satan, or when others, or when even I myself look at my own sin, at the things I've done, the things I've failed to do, the person I'm not that I've wanted to be, when I look at all that, and that accusation begins to come in at me and close in on me, that disrupts my peace, that causes me to doubt that the reality of what God has done for me in Christ and the reality of what God makes available for me in Christ right now. When that happens, I hear these words, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Scripture says, because of His grace, by faith, we are united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. That we have new life, new life. Paul goes on in Romans eight as he's arguing for for those who have who have have come to faith in Christ to to hold on and to believe the truth about who they are in their new with God, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but who gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you know that we are co-heirs with Christ? Do you know that to the promises of God? Now check this out. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God who says, not guilty. Your sins are forgiven. Not based on what you've done, but what I've done for you. Who is then the one who condemns? No one. No one. You know what? I can't even condemn myself. I mean, I can. But it doesn't reflect the reality of how God sees me and what God has declared. Not guilty. Because of the cross. Because of Emmanuel. Because of the Prince of Peace who came to reconcile us with God. Oh, that we would believe that. There is no one who can condemn. Now, check this out. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us, okay? As one commentator jokes, for all who have faith in Christ, we can rest assured that we have the services of a fine Jewish attorney, okay? That he sits at God's right hand and he intercedes. (laughs) Now, what do I do with this sense of shame or guilt or this lingering sin that I, that I just think I can't get rid of and somehow God can't forgive? Or even if I'm in a relationship with God and I, and I know I have been and yet I'm stumbling and I'm struggling... When Christ died on the cross for you and for me, He died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Do you know that? All of them. And yet I know and you know that our sin can, can interrupt, it can disrupt our relationship with God. But look what First John 9 says. Look what it says. First 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins to God... He is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God, I've blown it. I've blown it. And I know because of that, it, it's, it's interrupting, it's interfering my relationship with you. You know, it, it's, it's like I'm, I'm like Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? What happens after they, they ate from the tree, of the fruit of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil? What do they do? They hid. You see, they had they had relationship. They had fellowship with God every day. God would walk in the cool of the morning in the garden. They'd fellowship together. But on this day, following that sin, right, God called out to them and said, where, where are you? Of course, he knew where they were. Then it says, oh, uh, we're hiding. Right? We're hiding. Because what does sin do? Sin, sin sin causes us to want to hide sometimes from God. It disrupts that relationship. But but that's what God was doing. God was pursuing. God was walking. God was looking. God was saying, Here I am, where are you? Right? And God who made a way for forgiveness of sin, all sin who made right what sin made wrong. Who gives us grace we don't deserve. He says, listen. Listen, don't, don't live in that condemnation. Just come to me, acknowledge, say, yeah, I blew it. Please forgive me. I want to be in right relationship with you. I don't want to hide from you. And he says, my son, my daughter, I see you. Washed of the blood of my Son, Jesus. You have my forgiveness. You have it. He who knew no sin, Christ, took on our sin, became sin, if you will, but He took it on that we might become what? Righteous. Okay? We exchange our sinfulness for His righteousness. Once we get that, once we understand that, once we grab hold of that, I'm telling you, there is a peace that resides in our heart and our life. And we are free from accusation. Peace with ourselves. And then finally, there's peace with others. Now, do you see how they all relate to one another? We, We have peace with God, and because we have peace with God... We have the peace of God. We have a peace within ourselves. And because of that, then we can extend peace to who? And be at peace with one another. One another. Romans 12, 18 says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with Everyone, Did you hear that? As far as it depends on you. As far as it depends on me. May the Prince of Peace, the one who has made it possible for me to be at peace with God, the one who has made it possible for me to be at peace with myself and have the peace of God in my life. He's calling... You and me to be at peace with one another. Okay? At peace with one another. As far as it depends. Oh, I, I know, I know, I know what he said or she said or what they did or they didn't do. But that's them. God is calling you. You. To make a conscious choice in the power of the Spirit, in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Peace. Peace. To be at peace with one another. Now, now if I'm doing that and you're doing that, then I don't have to worry about you and you don't have to worry about me, do you? Because we're both doing what God has asked us to do and there will be peace. Well, I know you fall miserably short every day. And so do I. And we need grace. And we need the peace that comes from that. God's given it to us. Who are we withhold it from one another? And so there's peace with others. But how do we do that? I love what Paul writes to the Ephesians. 4.31 Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every other form of malice. Get rid of it! What a gift that would be at Christmas, wouldn't it? To yourself and to others to get rid of that? But instead, check this out, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as Christ, or in Christ, God forgave you. Mm. Boy, if we would just all do that, right? What a taste of the kingdom. What a taste of Shalom of wholeness, of completeness, of righteousness, of justice, of of, of being in right relationship with one another. Albeit imperfect, a taste of what's to come. Finally, Colossians 3.15. And let this be a gift that we give to ourselves that we give to others this Christmas. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the Prince of Peace rule in your hearts this Christmas. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, in the name of the Prince of Peace, Amen.